This is the Mike's Online Podcast, episode number eight. Excel by its nature is kind of this giant Swiss Army knife like tool. Welcome to the My Excel Online Podcast, the need to know Excel insights, knowledge, and tips brought to you by the experts that know them best. Are you ready to explore your full potential and get better at Excel? It's time to stand out from the crowd with your host, John Mikaloudis. G'day guys and welcome to the Mike's Online Podcast with your host, John Michalutis. In today's episode, we are going inside Microsoft Excel's offices and talk to one of the most experienced Excel program managers who's been around the Excel team for more than 12 years. In 2010, he wrote a book called Business Intelligence in Microsoft SharePoint 2010. And today, he oversees a team of program managers. Let's welcome from Redmond, USA, Mr. John Campbell. Hello, John. How are you, buddy? Hey, doing real good, John. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the show. Appreciate it. It's great to have an Excel team member from inside Microsoft's offices on our podcast. He's the first person that's come on the show, and hopefully you can share some secrets and some key features about your team. Yeah, that's awesome. Love to do it. All right, buddy. Now, I've told our listeners a little bit about yourself personally. Can you just tell us more about your journey to becoming an Excel program manager at Microsoft? Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's always good to sort of, I guess, start a story from the beginning. So my journey here to Microsoft was probably a little different than most. I, um, you know, a lot of people these days at these big tech companies, I think, tend to go out of high school and into college and get a degree in, you know, computer science or computer engineering or something like that. And then come to work at a place like a Google or a Microsoft, um, these kinds of things. My path is a little different. I uh, started some businesses out of high school and didn't go to college right away. And I was going to, you know, sell water filtration stuff because I thought one day, you know, people would be spending lots of money on things like bottled water. And and that was kind of my plan. Unfortunately for me, I didn't really know how to run a business and didn't have great mentorship in place. So after doing that for a little while, I decided, you know, this isn't really working. Uh, what am I really interested in? And, you know, the whole computing and software thing was interesting. I had been sort of programming since I was a little kid and um, thought, well, what do I need to do that? And I thought a degree in, you know, computer science would be the path. Uh, so from there, I went off to university, you know, spent some time getting a degree in computer science, uh, spent a little time working as a developer, primarily on things like, uh, you know, 3D visualizations, graphics, uh, game engines, these kinds of things. I uh, did a few internships, stuff like that, and then eventually landed at Microsoft. Um, and I came here because it was one of the companies I was most interested in. Uh, you know, back in those days, it was one of the kind of few really big, uh, true technology companies that built, you know, technology for everything. And so was really interested in Microsoft. And also Microsoft was the only company at the time that uh, really had this gig of program manager. And I didn't really know exactly what that was at the time. Uh, but I knew, you know, I had been doing development for a while. And I thought, you know, further out in my career, I don't see myself writing code every day. And I thought about the kinds of things I wanted to do and the kinds of skills. Uh, and Microsoft was one of the few companies that had a job like that, that I could sort of get right out of college without having to you know, kind of go be a developer for another five years. Uh, so I ended up coming here and I ended up coming to the office team. And that, uh, that, that in a nutshell was my journey to, to Microsoft. Uh, and when I arrived in office, I wasn't directly working on Excel, actually. I was working on this group called Data and Business Intelligence. 
And they were creating a new team called Excel BI, and there really wasn't a team there yet, and, and nobody really understood deeply what BI was. I mean, we had a few BI experts around, but I was kind of sent away to go read what we called the Orange Book. And this was, I don't actually remember the title, but it was some book someone had written to just explain BI and what it meant. And so I spent a lot of time sort of learning about BI and then eventually got vectored onto the Excel services team. Um, and it wasn't called Excel services then or what we know as Excel online today. Uh, back then it was Excel server and it was a version one. It was in its infancy sort of just being designed. Um, and that was really the first real team slash job that I had uh, at Microsoft. Uh, and that was where my journey began. Interesting journey. And when what Excel version was out there when you first started at Microsoft? You know, Excel Server was the thing that I was on at the time. And I think it was right after the uh, Office 10 or Office 11 wave had just shipped. So this was back around the 2003 release is what, what I think most of the public would know. And how was it working with a group of people on, on a project? It was really interesting. I mean, when I got here, I had to figure out how you, how do you build software at this scale and what does it mean? I mean, it was different uh, than anything I had seen before. Uh, everything else I had seen or the places I had been paid to, to write code for were, were really small shops. And so it was different to talk about commercial software on a scale of, you know, hundreds of millions of users. I mean, I was just floored at how many different processes these were, there were, how many, how big the teams were, and how many different things the teams uh, had to think about. Um, you know, when you've got a product and market that, that people, that's a platform like Excel, people build solutions on it. So, for example, you'd find uh, there'd be a bug. Someone would call up, uh, you know, help and request a bug fix. And you might want to go fix the bug. But then if you fix the bug, you'd, you'd find out that suddenly there was a million people who had built behavior <laughs> that depended on that bug re reproing. And so they would some, sometimes rely on those kinds of behaviors to be in the product. Uh, so it was really fascinating just to see, uh, you know, if someone coming into the business, the new stuff we were thinking about side by side with having to think about how to maintain of the existing stuff and how to make sure they're really interesting, you know, add-ins and features and solutions that people built on top of the product uh, to keep those maintained. Uh, and so it ended up being a pretty large team with lots of different people in sort of distinct roles uh, to make sure all that stuff came together. And do you feel sometimes that you're uh, a little fish in a big pond working at Microsoft? Yeah, it was interesting. I think some people might feel that way. I had actually the good fortune of, again, that, that Excel server was a V1 team. And so we were a pretty small and pretty tight-knit group, and we were a startup. And so I actually got to be involved in sort of every aspect of that product. Now, it was Excel server, and it wasn't just Excel Exe running on a server somewhere. This was a new product sort of from the ground up that was built at the time to run as part of SharePoint. Uh, but it was the first, you know, Excel as a service thing. And so my experience was, you know, we had a team of developers, and at the time there were a team of testers, and there was this team of program managers and it was a fairly small, fairly tight-knit group. And so I didn't feel like I was a, a, a small cog and kind of a giant machine. At times, you'd get a glimpse at that because, again, it was Excel uh, on a server. And so Excel as a product, it needed to look and smell and behave like Excel and calc to the same result and do all those things. And so we'd be talking to the core Excel desktop team you know, all the time. We sat down the hallway from them and talked to them. And when you get a glimpse into their world, they were very much a part of this much bigger office desktop box product, and they played by a slightly different set of rules. So for my first few years here, we were kind of part of this V1 startup upstart team. You know, we played by a lot of the same rules other people did, but we broke a lot of them too. 
<laughs> Interesting stuff. And now you're a program manager at Excel. And what does that involve? What does a program manager do? Yeah. So if you think about something like Excel, and actually, here's a little interesting story for, uh, for a historical note. I don't think a lot of people understand this, but this entire role of program management, it exists kind of all across Microsoft and across a bunch of other companies in the industry now. Uh, and the very first program manager in the industry was created on the Excel team. And what happened was, you know, back in the old days, there was a bunch of developers and working on uh, new features in Excel. And if you looked at, you know, over time as a product started going faster, started getting larger, we're kind of in the middle of the feature wars, people realized you had to have somebody thinking about what are we going to do next? How should it work? Why should we do it? Uh, what are the competitors doing? You know, and then there were other processes on the team that every developer had to sort of stop and take a bite of. And eventually uh, somebody stood up and said, you know, this is kind of silly for all of us to be doing it. Look, I'll do all of this for everybody. So everyone else can kind of stay focused on delivering features and writing the code. And that became the first program manager. And so really, program management at its core uh, started out as a, um, you know, developer enablement function. Um, and so all of the things that you need uh, to do well outside of actually writing core code became kind of the job of the program managers. Uh, and that kind of meant anything that needed to be done. So at times, let's say if you're you know, you're building a feature and uh, you need to find customers to talk to, or you're not sure what feature to build next. So you need to go talk to users. You need to uh, analyze what's happening in the market. You need to look at the strategy. Uh, who are the interesting competitors? Who are the new ones that are rising uh, right now? What are new scenarios we see? Uh, what, what are products maybe that aren't even spreadsheets right now, but that are, are competing with the kinds of things spreadsheets should do? Um, you know, what are the, the top 10 most important things our customers are asking for right now? So program management typically deals with all of those things. Uh, and then out of that, we synthesize, uh, you can imagine, a list of what we need to do next. And then from that list, we'll kind of take that and break it down into actual feature designs. And so the program manager is typically the person that sits down and goes from the raw customer requirements into, okay, here's how the feature should work. You know, here's where it should belong in the product. These are the kinds of buttons it needs. And this is what the UI experience should be. And these are all the key steps kind of in the flow. Uh, and then historically, we would kind of write all that down in a spec, and then we would work with the um, developer and tester in the old days. Nowadays, it's just sort of engineers. Um, but in the old days, it was there were different disciplines for development uh, and testing. And we would work as a group of essentially the triad, which was a program manager, a developer, and a tester would work as what was called a feature crew. And they would realize the vision of that feature together. And so they would work together every day. You know, they build, they test, they'd make sure it satisfied the, the requirements from a customer standpoint. Uh, and then eventually they'd all sign off on it and it would go in the box uh, to be shipped with the next release. And the role that PM or program managers played there uh, really was about understanding what the features are, you know, what they should do um, and articulating all that in a specification. And then the developer would get to choose sort of how to best implement those things um, and that's been roughly how the, the relationship has worked. So you get all the micro and macro factors and manage it that way? Is that how it works? Yeah, that's one way to think about it. Uh, you know, various leaders in office over time summarized it differently. And there have been people that sort of said, imagine a program manager is like a mini CEO of a feature, mm -hmm. essentially. But of course, as you become more experienced, it becomes feature areas and then entire parts of the product. But that's, that's another way to think about it. And so they would, they would really be figuring out the the uh, what the features should be, not the how they should be built, but the what they should do. 
And that includes, that can include all the branding, the UI, all the strings, the flow, all of that stuff. And then we would use the feature like a customer would or go find customers to come and use the feature and see if it works or if they stumble and figure out what we should fix. You know, we contribute to a lot of discussions and uh, represent the customer in a lot of discussions. So imagine if you've got some feature with a deadline and you've got, um, you know, 10 bugs, but maybe you've only got time to fix five. Well, the decision of do we slip the deadline and fix all 10 or do we just fix the five most important ones or are there different trade-offs to make? Uh, you know, typically PM would drive those kinds of decisions as well. And then if you find there's some gap where you just need something and there isn't someone that's kind of officially part of the process, well, then PM will go figure that out too. And so you'd find PMs writing uh, white papers uh, to help people. So you might have help writers uh, that weren't always knowledgeable enough to do it. In fact, I can remember uh, one of the, for Excel server in SharePoint, the de facto, here's how to get external data refresh working. That was a white paper that I wrote, you know, sort of up in, in, in the different articles floating around out there. Uh, and so you'd find PMs just stepping in to do kind of whatever needed to be done for the product or the customer uh, or for the team. So if it's a new feature that you're hearing from the customers that they want implemented in Excel, you pretty much say, okay, to the developers, this is what we need in the next Excel upgrade. Go and make it happen. That's right. Yeah, program management historically owns the direction of those things. And that means we do a lot of the industry has a discipline called product management. And that's another thing that program management typically takes on in, uh, in a place like Office. A lot of what you consider the product management functions, which are going out and talking to the customers, finding the right customers to talk to, looking at the solutions that they're building, you know, working with the people in the sales organization that are doing the big deals. So uh, they need someone to sort of sit down and help talk to like Goldman Sachs or look at what they're building or understand some of the gaps that should be in the product. But ultimately, we would understand those things, prioritize them, um, and then, you know, kind of lead the direction of where the, the next release is going to go. And are there some features that you get and you think, okay, this is not going to happen now, but it can happen in the next five years because we're not ready yet? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're constantly, and this is actually what I spend a lot of my time doing these days um, as kind of the, the, the core spreadsheet PM manager. Again, I'm a manager of a team of a bunch of PMs at this point. But we always are looking at a mix of new trends, new technologies on the horizon. What should we do there? There's interesting, cool things that we work with people in Microsoft Research on that are some of the stuff is just mind blowing. Um, but you've got to balance that with a, a healthy dose of what customers want, what they need now. We need to keep an eye on kind of what competitors are doing. And so there's a lot of balancing across those. But I see features all the time that uh, I know will be big, will be important, but the timing's not right. The timing might not be right for various reasons. It could be because the technology stack isn't quite ready yet. We just need to wait a little longer there. Or it could be because there's something else strategically that we're uh, is kind of in the way right now. Or it could be that they're actually just higher priority things we should do because these are, are real pain points for customers. And we want to address those first. So program management is really the one leading the way and making all of those kinds of trade-offs. Sounds very interesting indeed. Now you touched upon the competition. I'm assuming Tableau is your competition. Are there any other competitors out there that you look at? Yeah, Excel is such a broad tool. I mean, it's really kind of unique. To frame how I think about competition and, and how most of us are think about it, you've got to understand that Excel is kind of this Swiss army knife-like thing. And so some people use Excel just to do what I'll call, you know, maybe window dressing for a minute. So they get some report. They don't actually write any formulas or chain anything. They just make it look really, really nice. 
Uh, and they actually have entire jobs or careers doing just that. Some people use it to do kind of what you think of as standard business intelligence type things. So I've got a bunch of data. I want to visualize it. I want to, you know, sort and filter it in interesting ways uh, and sort of play around with it. Other people build, spend all their time building complicated financial models, and they spend all their time kind of living and breathing functions and formulas and cal. And there are other people that really are all about building sort of add-ins on top of Excel to solve specific problems. And then in addition to that, you've got people that don't use any formulas or any charts or any of that BI stuff. They use Excel to, you know, we talked to a dressmaker that runs a small business and she drops images of dresses in Excel and just resizes and reshapes the grid. Uh, or people that do knitting. Apparently, Excel is one of the more popular uh, knitting tools. Uh, so it's really this wide, diverse thing, uh, unlike some of the other apps where it's just about capturing pros or sort of presenting. And I understand there's lots of uh, sub-scenarios for those apps too, but Excel by its nature is kind of this giant Swiss Army knife-like tool. And so when you think about that for a minute, you look at a Tableau, and they're really going after uh, a lot of the sort of data analysis, classic kind of business intelligence type thing. Uh, and then you might take a look at a Google spreadsheet. This is another competitor. Um, you know, they're doing great stuff in spreadsheets and uh, someone that we're keeping an eye on. And they may just working on a core spreadsheet easier and more collaborative. Um, you know, they have fewer features, um, but they're kind of going after what most people would kind of consider the, the core uh, spreadsheet aspect. And then you can kind of look around the industry and find various verticals, uh, which are things you could be doing in Excel. And some people do do in Excel. I mean, there's project management, there's planning things people do in Excel. So competitors can be in lots of different different areas, and there's a number of them out there, but Tableau is definitely one that uh, they're doing really great stuff. We take them very seriously. Google's another one. Um, you know, there are other people in sort of the BI space as well, uh, and new competitors coming online all the time. You know, Amazon recently announced sort of a, a cloud BI competitor. Excel, as you know, plays a role in our, our BI story in the cloud as well. So there's really a number of competitors out there to, to be watching. Yeah, but those competitors, they concentrate on a specific function, don't they? They don't have the whole buffet there. Exactly right. There's nobody right now that quite has the, the kind of the, the width or the depth that, depth that Excel has. And probably never will. Puts, yeah, and it puts Excel in an interesting kind of unique place. And this is where we'll get some of our MVPs will come in and say, hey, you know, I was at this engagement and... There's some charity talking about they're doing a project planning thing or they need some some analysis and you've got some vendor for a, for a very narrow vertical tool, um, you know, maybe a domo or something like that. And they're to trying to sell this and the MVPs will say, well, but they already have Excel and it can already kind of do that. And, and maybe it's not the perfect thing for it, but Excel is just so flexible. You can build almost anything with it. And so we see a lot of those kinds of things crop up where, uh, because the Excel tends to be the tool that most people already have, uh, or at least have heard of and understand, or it's sort of very cheap and easy to get, you know, it does tend to be one that people will start out in. And clearly, you can outgrow it and, and move on to something more sophisticated. Uh, you know, we've seen companies that run the company uh, in Excel and treat Excel like a database. And then eventually, when they hit scale, they might move off into something else or formally adopt a CRM system. But in the meantime, Excel is just kind of the tool that that's it's... It's there. Everyone's got it, and it's super flexible, so you can do lots and lots of things with it. You can also add extra applications there that maybe in Tableau or Google Docs you cannot. Yeah, that's right. So Excel has a rich ecosystem uh, of people that build add-ins for it, uh, people that build solutions on it and kind of templatize those. Uh, you know, As you're aware, there's lots and lots of books out there and online trainings and online courses to show you how to do just about anything in Excel. 
So there's an incredibly diverse and rich ecosystem. And one of the reasons Excel is so sticky, and sticky is a term that we use around here, it means if you've adopted it, uh, really integrated into lots of your processes, it tends to be very hard to replace uh, because so many people customize and specialize it in interesting ways is because of the flexibility. That's why it can be so sticky. And that's pretty hard to do for a lot of competitors. There just aren't any tools right now that really are as broad or as deep as this one. And also, why don't Microsoft bring out courses and they leave it out to the books and, and, and all the teachers out there? Is there a reason why they haven't gone into the um, online courses? Not that I want them to do that because they're probably going to put me out of business and all the other <laughs> Excel tutors out there. Is there a reason why they haven't gone down that route? That's a great question. And I haven't, I don't know that I've talked to anyone that's kind of in charge of kind of the training arm uh, of the organization or the company, but we'll release things. If you look at the Excel blog, you'll see different people show up to say, hey, here's how to do something interesting. Um, but we often will we'll, we'll, uh, invite people from that aren't part of the product team uh, or aren't writers from Microsoft to show that stuff. And you'll see people from the product team will go off and write a book or co-author a book like I did back in 2010. Uh, so we do contribute to the ecosystem. But Excel, over the long history, it just has such a broad, diverse ecosystem. And there are so many really great trainings out there that I don't think that there's a giant need that, uh, you know, we have to sort of take on as the product team. I think the community really feels that pretty well in Excel. All right. Nice one. Now, I heard that Excel has a user voice that they're going to bring out or they've just brought out now. Yeah, that's right. So we have a site uh, and you can get to it by going to excel.uservoice. Dot com And user voice is all one word, and that's excel.uservoice.com. And that is a place where everyone can go and you can request new features, bug fixes, changes, suggest we look into new areas. Uh, and you've got a certain number of votes. And so you can read requests other people have made and you can vote on the ones you like the most. And that is something that we read daily around here. In fact, I've spent many, many hours in that personally uh, just over the last two weeks alone. I spent just a ton of time there. Uh, and so that's a place that helps us uh, prioritize what we should do next. It's one of those very important data streams that we take directly from customers. So that is a great site. I absolutely encourage all of your user or all of your listeners to go there, uh, sign up for and start voting on features. Uh, it's something the product team absolutely pays attention to. All right. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And uh, it's a great feature and it's good that... Microsoft is listening to the people out there and um, adding these new features because we are the ones that are using it on a day-to-day basis. And for Excel to get better, what a better way than to get user feedback. Yeah, that's great. And I, I want to just echo that again. Like this really is a new age at Microsoft, you know, particularly in teams like Office, Windows, and really all of Microsoft. But we are spending a lot of cycles listening to customers from a lot of different mechanisms. Excel.uservoice.com is probably the best ones, the most general. Uh, But we spend a lot of time talking to a lot of customers um, in calls, in interviews, through various feedback channels at various conferences. Uh, We've really renewed the customer focus around here over the last couple of years. Um, And that is a huge part of every program manager's job these days. Awesome stuff, and I'm sure everyone's going to benefit from it in the near future. Okay, just the last questions before we go on that I've always wanted to ask. About the development of Excel, the developers, in the background of the application and the code writing, how is it? Is it like a big macro? Is there a lot of if formulas? (laughs) What kind of language do you use to write Excel? 
Yeah, so there's actually a number of languages that we use, but if you're talking about Excel on the desktops, let's say, you know, on a Windows PC on the desktop, the quote-unquote core Excel, mm -hmm. you know, the one that runs on the Mac desktop or on the Windows desktop, that's the one most people are, are most familiar with. Uh, most of that is written in what we call native code. So those are languages like C, C++, and we try and write that code in a way that's shared uh, so that we can reuse it on other endpoints. And I'll talk more about that in just a second. But there's a lot of stuff down there. And there's even parts of the calc chain that are written in sort of assembly. Um, so really low-level stuff to optimize for performance. But that's probably what most of the, the code authoring uh, is in in terms of the desktop. Now, if you look at other Excel endpoints, because we have Excel running in the web. A lot of people aren't, don't realize that, but we have a product called Excel Online. That was what Excel Server, uh, the version one product I started on, became over the years. And that's an internet-scale-facing uh, service that anyone can use for free in your web browser. Uh, we've also got Excel that we shipped. You've probably seen on the iPad um, and on the iPhone. We've got Excel on um, Android slates and Android phones. And we've just recently shipped the universal Excel app for Windows. Um, and so this is the one that can run across all your Windows Touch devices. And that includes your, your Windows slates and your, the new Windows phones that are coming out shortly. And so where we're moving to from the engineering side is actually one shared code layer underneath all of those things. And then on top of that, for each one of those endpoints, you've got a bit of code specific to that endpoint. So, for example, uh, if you're in the Windows ecosystem on the Windows phone, you've probably got some XAML. Uh, you've got some C Sharp that you're using. And so that can be a little different. On the web side, you know, you've got a lot of JavaScript, HTML, and CSS in play. And so we sort of tailor uh, that level to the endpoint that we're focusing on. But what you think of as the guts of Excel, you know, the calc chain and just some of the core logic inside the app, uh, a lot of that is native code. And that native code, obviously, that was um, from the start, from the beginning. Can that be yeah. changed now with all these other codes that are coming out? Yeah, we absolutely do find pieces of it as we're reinvesting in something, uh, particularly if something's particularly buggy or old or, you know, the way those features, you know, you might have a feature that was written 15 or, or 20 years ago and you've been fixing minor bugs and they're adding on to it over time. Uh, and then eventually you hit a point where you might want to rewrite that. And so we're, we're doing that as we pull more and more code into what we call kind of the shared code layer. Uh, we are taking the time to kind of revisit features, do them right. Um, you know, what I mean by right is addressing different bugs, and, uh, different limitations that we might have had from code that was written a long time ago. Um, and so we're being very thoughtful there, uh, making sure to kind of get, you know, the core engine, I'll call it for a second, up to snuff in terms of modern programming practices and, and the modern languages with the modern compilers. Mate, it'll be interesting to see what goes on in the background for the code. It'll be very complex, uh, I assume. <laughs> yeah, Excel is um, it's definitely um, complicated, deep, uh, and, and very interesting there. And we only see a, a small part of it on, on the user interface, don't we? Yeah, yeah, your users see you know kind of what the end result is. Um, and don't see all of the components underneath that are working together. And a lot of the code in Office isn't even from the Excel team. So if you look at something like Office, you know, Excel is probably the, is the oldest app here, but eventually, you know, Word just had their 20th anniversary. But if you think about Office, you open it up, you've got a giant ribbon at the, the top, and that used to be a toolbar. And they all look generally the same. There's a lot of commands there that are standard. You know, if you hit the file button, that, that this backstage experience opens up, and that's where the print preview is and different options are. And a lot of that stuff looks really consistent. And the idea is if you learn to use some button on the toolbar in the old days uh, in Excel, then you could reuse that learning in Word. So we have entire teams in Office um, that write a bunch of shared code across all of the apps. 
um, so that not every app team has to write the same piece of code, just you know, duplicated four or five times. And so there's actually, when you think about the breadth of Office and the shared teams that contribute to Office, for example, the stack that knows how to load files over a network or deal with file sync issues in a, a real-time kind of co-auth or collab environment, you know, a lot of these kinds of things are written once and then every app gets them or they're written and then tailored a little bit to each app. So we have entire teams of engineers and program managers that are off delivering things like that as well. Mm-hmm. So it really is quite a, a complex stack when you zoom out and look at the global picture of Office. I'm lucky I'm not involved in that. And also with Excel for Mac, now before the 2016 release, Excel wasn't wasn't compatible, not compatible, but all the features weren't on Mac as they were on the um, Microsoft for Excel. But now with the 2016 release, you, you have most, if not all those features on there. And why was that in the past? How come you didn't have that from, for example, Excel for Mac 2011 and Excel 2010? You know, Excel when it was written ran for Windows, Mac, and then I think even OS2. But over the years, the way it evolved was, you know, we had shared code that the Mac and Windows side of the house would use, and they were different teams. The releases were typically offset. So you might have the Mac team off doing something, and they're doing some new features. Um, One example of an old feature from from a while back was the kind of this page layout view. And it lets you kind of view the grid like it'll print, and you can actually work in the grid without having to use print preview. Uh, it's not one of our most popular features, probably, but it's it's one I'll pick as an example. That was actually done first by the Mac team, and they said, "Hey, here's the the feature," and you know the program managers on both teams work together, and then we we pull it into the next Windows release. And so you typically have these kind of leapfrogging releases, and there, of course, as you pointed out, there were deltas uh, between the features. And ideally, you want one to look and feel like it's part of Mac and was kind of built for Mac first, and the other one should look and feel like it's part of the Windows ecosystem. And, We've done uh, better and sort of or worse jobs depending on the feature you pick over the years. Uh, but we are very sensitive that Excel should be Excel and it should feel complete everywhere. And we did just release a new version of Mac. And it still does have some feature parity gaps with the Windows stuff. That's a set of features we take very seriously. We have a large team actually right now working to close those gaps uh, and move those code bases not to being things that we kind of leapfrog each other or copy around, but to actually one layer of truly shared code so that uh, in the future around here, uh, we should be operating in a world where there is a shared code layer uh, between both of these platforms, between all of the new platforms, actually. So at the moment, you can't just copy and paste from the Windows version to the Mac version. You can't copy and paste the code. Yeah, so that, that's what we used to do, actually. And that's something we're trying to get away from. And actually, we're trying to get to a shared version of the code that will build for each platform as opposed to, hey, here's a freeze frame of all the code. Here's your snapshot. Now take it off and go get it, you know, building on this other ecosystem. And then once you've got that working, now start putting in some of the new features. Uh, we'd rather write the feature once and instead of, you know, write it once and have it work everywhere as opposed to the old days where you'd write it and then the next team would have to pick it up and and fix it or make it work or tailor it for their, their um, app. And inevitably, when you do that, uh, you end up with small feature differences that customers tend to hate. So we want to move away from that world. All right. Interesting insights, John. I appreciate your answers. They're great. They're great. All right. Let's go on to our next topic. And this year marked the 30th anniversary of Microsoft Excel on the 30th of September 1985 is when it first came out. Yeah. 
Can you talk about the first few days there when you probably weren't there, but you probably know more about the history of Excel working within Microsoft than I do. Uh, can you talk about the first years of Excel when you guys were trying to break into the VisiCalc market? Yeah, absolutely. So to understand the history of Excel, you've, you've got to know a little bit about the history of spreadsheets. So the first spreadsheet really was VisiCalc. And that came out in, I believe, 1979. That's when I was born. With Mac. And then I think in 1980, it was released for like the, you know, um, TRS-80, these sort of old microcomputers that they had. I think they used to sell those ones at Radio Shack, actually. And that really was the first electronic spreadsheet. And that was kind of a massive breakthrough because up till then, you know, if you wanted to do these kinds of calculations, people had to sit around with a calculator and a giant ledger. And so VisiCalc came out in 79. That was the leader. Microsoft released its first spreadsheet, I believe, in 1982. And that was uh, not Excel. That actually was something called Multiplan. And it was a competitor to VisiCalc. And it all kind of ran and, you know, all of these were sort of text-based back then. So they ran in something like DOS. Imagine, you know, command line and just lays different things out on the screen to look like a spreadsheet. But there was no real UI. Uh, and Multiplan was actually pretty good. A lot of people consider it to be a failure because it didn't ultimately take over the market. But I think by the time we retired Multiplan, I think it had sold almost as many copies as VisiCalc. So it was a reasonably good product. And again, it was built to run on things like, you know, 8-bit machines. I think the install of Multiplan, you know, in the early days of DOS was like 130K or something. And just sort of incredibly, uh, you know, small and tight software. But really what happened was, I believe, Lotus 123 came out in the early 80s, I think 1983, actually. And that ended up being the real competition for spreadsheets. It was kind of became the killer app for IBM PCs. I mean, you had people buying computers just for these apps, to put this in perspective here. And this was back in the days when people didn't know what they'd want a PC for. Like, why would you, what do you mean a PC on every home and, uh, you know, on every desk? Uh, what would I use it for? Is it a place to store my recipes? I just don't get it, right? They're expensive. You know, these things, you know, this, these spreadsheet programs we're talking about used to cost somewhere on the order of, you know, four to $500. And these were, you know, $1983, right? So mm -hmm. really quite expensive, but a ton of value that they, that they would give you, right? If you, if you needed something like a spreadsheet. But Lotus 1, 2, 3 went on to pretty much dominate the market. You know, Microsoft looked at it and thought, okay, what, what, what do we do here? And so the, what they came up with, people were kind of expecting another release of Multiplan, but that never actually happened. I think back in the early 80s, they were rumored to, to get a Windows version of Multiplan, but they never actually released. What released instead was Excel. So back in 1985, I think it was actually in May of 1985, there was a, a big meeting. I've got actually a picture with, you know, it's got Bill Gates and Steve Jobs in it with, you know, the president uh, of Microsoft, John Shirley at the time, with a few other people talking about Excel 1.0. Uh, and you can find some of these old videos of these guys online. It's really interesting to watch. A big bet that the company took, I mean, Microsoft bet big on Excel and Windows. Really, if you look in the early days, these were two of the big products that kind of built the company around. But, you know, Bill Gates was kind of, you know, there's some history you can find online where he talks about you know, targeting the multi-planned 8-bit machines and supporting all these other machines was, was a mistake. And even later in the 90s at Microsoft, people would look at, hey, in terms of minimum system requirements, are we aiming too low? Are we, is it another case like multi-plan? Because the strategy Microsoft took wasn't to keep going with a multi-plan. Instead, it was to bet, to say, hey, let, let Lotus dominate the DOS world. The character-based world of spreadsheets, let them have it. We're not going to worry about winning it. Instead, we're going to go after Mac and Windows for GUIs, you know, the graphical user interface. And we're going to build a spreadsheet around that. And so the plan was to be just be a generation ahead. 
And so in 1985, the first version of Excel shipped on the Mac. And I think it was two years later in 1987, we shipped it on Windows. And, you know, the rest is kind of history. I think when we started out uh, in 1988, I think Excel had around 9% of the spreadsheet market and the rest of the market. Now, there were other spreadsheet competitors out there, but Lotus really, I think, was the big one. Lotus and Quattro maybe were the big two, but they had the most share and the market seemed like it was fairly tightly locked up. But during the 90s was kind of the key you know, thing in Excel was go win the spreadsheet wars. And we actually have a flag around the offices. It has this kind of this skull and crossbones with the Excel logo where the, the eyes of the skull would be. And it says, you know, across the top, it says Microsoft Excel. And underneath the skull and crossbones says recalc or die. <laughs> and that was someone's wife had made that. A developer on the team, his wife had made it and brought it to a company meeting, was kind of waving it around. And it became the, the official sort of mascot of Excel. And one of the big features we had was auto recalc. And in the multi-plan days, auto recalc existed, but actually was very slow. But one of the big, big features Excel had was what we called intelligent recalc, which meant recalc would happen automatically, but we were pretty smart about not recalcing the whole thing. We would just recalc the parts of the grid that needed to be. Uh, and that was a big feature. That was one that Bill Gates himself was kind of monitoring and asking the people that ran the team, how's that feature coming and how are you doing? Uh, and that was a huge feature for the team. It was, you know, not breaking calc was something the team believed in so strongly, we, you know, kind of created this flag and mascot and culture around it. And by the end of the 90s, when you get to around 1998, 1999, I think we had over 90% of the spreadsheet market at that point. And what happened to Lotus 1, 2, 3? Uh, well, eventually, Lotus 1, 2, 3 got officially retired. Um, so if you look in Wikipedia for Lotus 1, 2, 3, I think there's actually a link in there that takes you to IBM's website, and it, it doesn't even talk about Lotus. Uh, but that was something that eventually was just sort of quietly uh, retired semi-recently, actually. I don't remember the, the actual year they did that, but it was only a few years ago. And so that was kind of the story of the early days of an Excel. When you got into the 2000s, Excel's mission really was about BI. Um, go, you know, help Microsoft win in the BI space. Uh, so you saw a lot of features coming into Excel to sort of help with what you consider business intelligence scenarios. Um, and so, you know, when you look at around 2012, which was around 10 years or so after we really started going after BI, I think we were kind of number two in the space. When you look at the BI stack for Microsoft all up and you include SQL BI and these things. Um, in fact, I saw Foresters as of 2015, I saw the, the Forrester, you know, their, their little chart that, and they've kind of called Microsoft out as the leader with the most complete story, um, with the strongest strategy and kind of the strongest current offering. So I think we, we did manage to kind of do a great job in the BI market during the early 2000s. Definitely have. Now you've told us how Excel has evolved over the years and it's, uh, interesting and amazing story and i thank you for that and our listeners as well now where do you see excel in the next five to ten years yeah that's a great question so there's a couple of things that are pretty important to us uh, that we're delivering on uh, one of these is first let's get every excel on every platform that it needs to be you know the modern world of computing has changed and if you think back to the early days of Excel I just described, you know, Excel sort of won by betting big on uh, trends and new platforms, right? The graphical user, uh, user interface being a key one in the early days. And so now if you look at what it is, how people work and what productivity apps mean and where they are, there's lots of stuff happening on phones. Uh, you have entire countries like India and China that never had a PC revolution, right? They had a phone revolution instead. Uh, if you think back to the early 2000s, everyone talked about getting a laptop for every child and these things. We actually had that revolution, but it didn't come in the form of laptops. It came in the form of phones. Modern world of computing has got services. Everything's just connected now. Uh, there's data coming from everywhere and sort of Internet of Things. If you think about like all these devices people have that are generating data, 
social networks that are generating data about you and search engines, all of these things. It was a very, very different world. Uh, and at the same time, we still have core spreadsheets and what you think of core spreadsheets getting used for. So we're doing a mix of a few things. Number one, first, like I said, getting Excel on all the platforms it needs to be. So, you know, we're on every phone, every kind of ecosystem there is. We've got the service, you know, and we're, we're continuing to sort of push there. And that's where some of the shared code I talked about earlier and not having strange feature gaps uh, is going to be important because the team is pretty agile these days. Um, you know, we, we follow sort of a much newer, more agile methodology for developing and shipping features. So we've got to have the right platform underneath us to help us go fast. The second thing is people expect everything to be collaborative at its core. And so we're busy at work, you know, kind of making Excel a truly collaborative offering. Now, Excel Online already has kind of real-time co-op, a lot like Google Spreadsheets. A lot of people aren't aware of that, but that's been there for years. Uh, we want to improve that, and we want to bring it to all of the Excel endpoints. So that's another really big bet is just making sure we are we are relevant and the very best at collaboration. And then if you look forward and you think about things like machine learning um, and you think about a world where stuff's connected, like you've got content in an app that could be connected to a service and, and, and be alive uh, with knowledge from the service. And what does that mean? Um, or if you think about the types of tasks people do in Excel, like, you know, cleaning up data or, you know, imagine voice commands. Um, if you think about things like Cortana and digital assistants and how can they help you understand and make sense of data. There's a lot of trends there that we spend a lot of time thinking about and looking at. Again, I can't go into details on some of those areas, but even stuff like HoloLens and thinking about virtual reality and augmented reality, we spend a bunch of time thinking about those things as well and thinking about what would productivity mean in a world like that. Uh, so we have a blend of looking at what customers need today and what's right in front of us in terms of scenarios we should deliver on in the next year, let's say. Uh, and then also looking at big trends uh, in the industry and just how people are uh, using technology and computing to see where we should take productivity apps in the future. Well, I think there's some interesting times ahead in Microsoft, and there's not going to be a dull moment for you, is there? Oh, yeah. It's uh, a lot of time I spend, uh, you know, I'd say I spend, you know, a, a fair portion of my week looking, you know, three to five years ahead. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other pieces of my job where I'm looking at, you know, the next three to six months or a year. And this is where having... Uh, sites like excel.uservoice.com is incredibly helpful because it just helps get us dialed into what our customers are saying and and what kind of problems uh, those folks are having. So that's a pretty important part of the plans. Yeah, we're looking forward to all those great features coming out. I cannot wait, mate. Before we go to the next section, yeah, one name, Bill Gates. Have you met him? <laughs> and can you tell our listeners a little bit about Bill Gates? Yeah, Bill you know, really needs no introduction. You know, I remember seeing something, this was before I came to Microsoft. I, I have no idea if this is true, but I saw some little factoid somewhere that said he was the most famous person in the entire world. Like, you know, Bill would get fan mail from small children in other countries, right? That had never heard of anybody in sort of, you know, American Hollywood or these kinds of things, but knew who Bill Gates was. And he is just kind of this legendary sort of, you know, towering figure among computing and was just kind of there to help usher in the wave of the PC revolution. So, you know, Bill's uh, incredibly smart, you know, even in the old days of Microsoft was just involved in sort of lots and lots of things. And even now when, you know, Bill, you know, he kind of, you know, semi-retired and was doing Microsoft part-time for a while. And now he's back in, a, I think, a little bit broader capacity. Um, but even now, you know, we still will, will occasionally do what we call the Bill G review, which is, you know, teams will sort of come in with the plans for where we're going with the products in the future and, you know, get Bill's input on it. So he's been huge. 
Have I met Bill? Yes, I actually did meet him uh, when I was an intern for Microsoft. They used to have this deal where interns would get to go to Bill's house and we'd all have lunch with Bill. Nice. <clears throat> and so that was a lot of fun, right? You know, just getting to talk to him a bit in person. Um, and back in those days, we were talking a lot about open office um, and, you know, you had kind of open source, which really was kind of early times and sort of open source software. Um, and that was a, a big, big hot topic. I remember lots of discussions at the Bill Gates uh, barbecue that year about those things. And how is he? A down-to-earth person or approachable? Uh, yeah, he's he he was great in person. You know, he, he he was super nice and super smart. Had a lot to say about a lot of things, uh, and you could tell that guy would think just really, really deeply about stuff. Some of the meetings behind closed doors with the products teams weren't always quite as nice. Bill uh, can be very, very direct, sort of very efficient in meetings, and um, doesn't like to sugarcoat a lot of things. We like to have a definitely a culture around here of um, very open, sort of honest uh, feedback on products and directions. Um, and I think a lot of that was stuff that was sort of driven by him. But, nice. Um, oh, mate, I wish I could meet him one day. And yeah, he's a great person and has done a lot for the whole world. The whole world. Yeah, yeah. He's awesome. And I, I mean, just look at what he's doing philanthropically. And yeah. I mean, he's really setting an example for a lot of uh, kind of the modern world of technology. And I'm, gr- I'm really happy and excited to see a lot of the other leaders like Mark Zuckerberg's of the world, you know, kind of following, uh, you know, in the example that Bill's been setting. That's really amazing stuff. You like to have a, a great boss like that. All right, guys, uh, let's take a short break and we'll be back to talk about Excel 2016's new features. Can you analyze this spreadsheet using Excel pivot tables? Sure, if you can show me how to. Introducing the Extreme Pivot Table Online course, which teaches you how to analyze business data and highlight key metrics so that you can make insightful business decisions, create interactive analytical dashboards that will reach top management, and set you apart from your peers, which will make you more important and increase your chances of a promotion or pay rise. Developed over 15 years through extensive professional use and including real business case studies, it is the ultimate pivot table course. With over 200 short downloadable video tutorials accessible online anywhere 24-7, 12-month personal support if you ever get stuck, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit myexcelonline.com today and give your professional development the boost it deserves. All right, we're back with John Campbell from Microsoft to talk about Excel 2016 and its new features. And I did a survey recently with my listeners about what Excel version they are using. And 50% use Excel 2010, another 15% use 2007, and about 10 to 15% use Excel 2016. So a lot of people are still using the older versions of Excel. But we're here to talk about Excel 2016 and a couple of its new features, and they are great. Now, the first feature that I saw when I installed Excel 2016 was the tell me what you want to do search box in the middle. What is that? That's that's great. Can you explain to our listeners what that search box does? Yeah, absolutely. So that is one that now, if you're thinking about the Office products, and you just talked about your users using, you know, products from 2007, from 2016, 
um, you know, 2013. And, and there can be people using um, even older versions. But if you think about how many features are in these products, this one was sort of inspired by helping people just get to what they need to do to do their job much faster without having to learn sort of all the UI and all the special places. We would find historically as we were out investigating features or asking what people needed or seeing what problems they had that, you know, some relatively high percentage of the time we would find that the feature that they needed to solve their problem was already in the product and they just didn't know about it. And we have, by the way, lots of new ideas on how to sort of help people bridge that. Uh, You'll see new features coming out uh, in the future if you're using Office 365 and I'd encourage everyone listening to your program to go and grab an Office 365 subscription. That's the best way to get the latest and greatest stuff. But Tell Me came out of helping people find what they needed to do in the product to, to do their job. And so it just uses natural language. So you can just go up there, click in that little box, and then type in what you were trying to do. And you'll see in real time, it'll start auto-completing for you and suggesting different features. And you can just click on the features right there and you'll you'll start to apply the features. So it's, it's really pretty interesting and is Kind of uh, the first step. Think of that as our first sort of baby step into a lot of natural language stuff. And you asked me about code words earlier, uh, code names for different projects. And internally, the code name for Tell Me, uh, as we were sort of building this out, was actually Oz early on. Mm-hmm. Oz as in OZ. Yeah, that's right. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and why Oz? Did you just pick it or? I have no idea. Yeah. That was one that the, this is another one of those great features that some of the shared teams in Office built. And it's interesting because a lot of those teams, they don't get a lot of credit for these things because what customers see are just typically the apps. They see Excel, they see Word, they see PowerPoint. Uh, But what they don't realize is the team that built that feature in Excel is the same team that delivered that feature into Word, into PowerPoint, and everywhere else that you see it. So I just wanted to sort of give them a a quick kudos there. Uh, That is a great feature that uh, I think has a lot of promise in the future to extend in a lot of really interesting ways. It is nice. And you can type in there, for example, filter, and you get a whole list of uh, features that you can go to add or remove filters advanced filter insert timeline insert slicer sort and filter so if you don't know where that feature is located because i know you can get overwhelming you can just go into that search box type in whatever you want and it will come up click on it and it'll take you directly to that feature all right let's talk about another feature called the smart lookup yeah so that's another one that's being powered by bing Um, and so the idea is When you're building content about something, so if you're building a spreadsheet about automobiles or or if you're doing a, a, maybe you're building a report using Word for a school project or something, the idea is the web and the services that are sort of sitting out there in internet land know a lot about a lot of things. And so people often find themselves going to the web and doing research and then copy pasting and trying to bring things back in. So the motivation here was why not just bring that back in as part of the core content authoring in Office? And so you can be typing something. So uh, in Excel, for example, just you know type some words in a cell, NASDAQ index or something. And then you can go under the review tab and hit a smart lookup button. You can also just uh, right-click, you know, select the text that's interesting to you, right-click it, and on your right-click menu, there should be a smart lookup entry point there. Uh, and if you can't find either of the smart lookup entry points, you can just go in the tell me and type in smart lookup uh, and it'll find it for you. Uh, but the idea there is you you click that, it'll open a task pane up and it'll do a, a search uh, powered by Bing uh, in the task pane. It'll bring you back interesting tidbits um, that we sort of suggest uh, might help you understand that content a bit better and sort of you know lead the way on helping give you a surface you can pull content from and bring into your document. 
Um, and it is contextual. It's smart. So if you're you know, in Word and you're typing the word Robin, it may look at the text around you and go, well, do you mean Robin the bird or Robin the sidekick to Batman, right? Because they're very different. So there's some contextual smarts that are in there as well. Nice one. So it brings up the web browser inside the Excel environment, right? Yeah, it brings up a task pane that'll surface a bunch of content from Bing. I don't think it's actually, I don't actually know if they've built it by hosting a full web browser. I think it's probably a little bit different than that. But it tries to bring stuff that looks and feels like it's part of Office, powered by Bing, and lets you, uh, gives you an easy way to, you know, kind of grab some of that content, reuse it, or just understand the content that you're authoring against a bit better. It's a great feature. Now, the other thing I saw on the right-hand corner, you got share with a little man and a plus sign. What does that do? Yeah. And so this is, again, one of the early steps to making uh, the Office apps much more collaborative. And you might, might notice that the different apps are in different spaces here. But this is supposed to be kind of a button that you click. It's a one-stop shop to help you share the file out, you know, get, get, get you to store it in a place in the cloud uh, that you can share with all the people you're working with, um, give you an experience, sort of pick who you want to share it with. Um, and so really, it's kind of a step one when it's when I've got a report and it's time to to share it out, um, you know, clicking that's going to sort of launch a task pane and then um, get you into an experience where you can pick who to share it with, how you want to share it, where you want to share it. Again, it's another one of those collaboration features that you'll see a lot of innovation from from us over the, the coming um, uh, months and years. Nice. And you've also got some new charts in there. You've got a waterfall chart, Pareto, tree map, histogram, box and whisker, and a sunburst chart. Yeah. Yeah, and so new chart and new ways to visualize data is something that people have been asking for for a while. Um, and we're really busy working on charts, working on new chart types. There are ones we're working on now that haven't been announced that if you're on O365, you'll be getting um, coming soon. Uh, but this was kind of a high price sort of first set. And these were things that people could build in Excel before or, or people would build add-ins for or custom templates with lots of sort of tweaking. But now this just makes them drop dead easy. It's as easy now to insert a tree map as it is a bar chart in the old days. And so these are huge things that when we show people that need them to do their work, um, usually just gets lots and lots of applause for. And that's, these are other good examples of features that we'll see us shipping as we start treating Excel like a service uh, and sort of shipping new features all the time and shipping fixes or small upgrades to features all the time. Charts and, and new chart types is an area to keep your eye on. Uh, there's some nice charts there. And the waterfall chart is highly used in the corporate environment. I remember when I was at General Electric, I had to do a waterfall chart and you had to type in all the formulas and all that. So that's a great feature and a lot of um, corporates are going to take a lot of value out of that. What I'll do in the show notes, I'm going to put in a link to all the uh, new features so all of our listeners can have a look at that. So thanks for that. Now, with the next Excel versions, are they going to bring them out every three years or is it going to be just constant updates onto the current? Excel version that they have? So we actually have a mix. We're going to be doing a lot of constant updates and we have Excel, you know, on your mobile devices, Excel on the web. If you're a small business, you're on O365 or you're just a consumer at home, a student and using O365, you'll get new features in the Excel desktop even. But we are going to keep around a slightly slower upgrade path for some of the companies, um, you know, particularly the larger uh, corporations that use Excel and run their businesses on it. So they can have fewer features over time if they so choose. Um, and so we're really kind of in a mode right now where we're letting you, letting customers choose uh, in a lot of cases how often they want to get new features. Nice. That's great to hear because people are still using 2007. So it's, yeah, it's good to slow down those upgrades. 
Yeah, and over time, we'd like you know to get stuff sort of sped up globally and start delivering value faster to customers. And really, the place we're focusing on for that right now is the subscription. All right, and how can someone get that subscription to Office three six five? Where can they go? Yeah, you can go. You know, open up your web browser and you know um, type in Office three sixty five. That'll take you. You know, you can. It's easy to find from sort of anywhere, but it's just Microsoft.office.com is an easy one to go to. Um, and you've got lots of different plans and stuff sort of available right there. Uh, and you can pick the right thing for you, for your family, for your small business, for your large business. Uh, it's all kind of there on that site. All right, thanks for that. Now, before we go, just some quick Excel favorites of yours. What's your favorite keyboard shortcut? <laughs> Gosh, let's see. You know, there's one that I really like a lot is I think just Alt equals, and that's one that you know, obviously copy paste. There's nothing quite like copy paste, but. You know, Alt equals is just going to basically look at, look at the, the column above you and, and do a, a simple sum. So it's just a quick keyboard shortcut to write a really simple sum formula. Nice one. And your favorite Excel tip? Pivot tables. Yeah. I can't tell you, particularly in the early days, how many times I'd be visiting with different customers or seeing different solutions. And people would always try and use words to explain what they meant, how they wanted to look at their data. And I'd say, well, hey, why aren't you using a pivot table? Um, not everyone knew what that was, particularly in sort of the old days, but they are a great tool to kind of aggregate data and, and view data, you know, over time uh, and gives you a really quick way to look at data in lots of different ways. So that is uh, one of my all time favorite features in the product. I love pivot tables and I've got a course with over 200 tutorials <laughs> called the extreme, extreme pivot table course. So if <laughs> anyone listening out there wants to know anything about pivot tables, get on there. All right, guys, you can find the links to everything we've talked about today by visiting mikesellonline.com slash podcast. All right, John, thank you very much for your time. Before you go, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? So the best way is the Excel user voice site. That is like the very best way to have a dialogue with the product team because I'm probably not the most interesting one, but there's lots of other, there's a team of almost 50 PMs on Excel these days and we are all in there desperately pouring over kind of all of the feedback. We literally sit in a room together every week and read the feedback. So that's the best place. All right. Great stuff, John. Thank you very much, mate. I appreciate your time and I'm sure our listeners as well you know, are happy to hear a voice within Microsoft Excel. Mate, thank you very much and definitely I'll have you back on because you've got a lot of great information. Thank you. Absolutely, John. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Speak soon. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this podcast show. Thank you for listening. Now, I need your help. I need you to please leave an honest review for the Mike's Online podcast on iTunes. Now, ratings and reviews are extremely helpful and greatly appreciated, and I read each and every one of them. So if you go onto iTunes and search for the Mike's Online podcast, you can leave a review and also subscribe so you can receive all the new episodes as soon as they come out. Also, if you go over to my blog at mikesellonline.com slash blog, you can subscribe to receive weekly Excel lessons for free. Now, these are going to be delivered to your inbox each and every Friday, containing a lesson on formulas, pivot tables, charts, and analysis. By signing up, you also get a copy of my free Excel ebook called The Ultimate Excel Resource Guide. Now, in this ebook, I show you and review the best Excel blogs, the best Excel YouTube channels, the must-have Excel forums for you to succeed. 
I handpick and review the best Excel online courses. I show you the various Excel books that are available. And I also explain the different time-saving add-ins that you must have in order to get the full potential out of Excel. Plus, I have much more information. Now, this ebook is jam-packed full of value and it's free if you sign up to my weekly Excel lessons. So go over onto my Excel blog and subscribe to receive your free ebook and also get your awesome weekly lessons. All right, until the next episode, keep excelling. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the My Excel Online Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share this with your colleagues so they can reach their full Excel potential. You can also visit myexcelonline.com slash podcast for show notes as well as John's online Excel courses and free tutorials to help you stand out from the crowd. Until next time, keep excelling.